0: Apple presents events at the Apple store we got a really cool video we're gonna take a look at before we get started so let's take a look at this together tragic news from Lake Belle Reve where it looks like a bad accident has occurred on to a double suicide
1: Ladies and gentlemen,
0: please welcome this evening's guest moderator from Rolling Stone, Anthony De Curtis, and tonight's guests, T-Bone Burnett, John Mellencamp,
1: and Stephen King. Well, we've got uh, quite an array of talent here, um, and thank you all for coming in this weather. Uh, well, John, why don't you talk a little bit? I mean, since this, um, you know, since the idea for uh, Ghost Brothers originated with you and it's gone on quite a journey. Uh, why don't you just uh, explain a little bit about the origins of it and what gripped you about the idea?
0: I bought a cabin uh, t- to entertain my two boys about 1990 or something like that, even before that. And uh, after I bought it, the people I bought it from said, you know, um, oh, by the way, the place is haunted. And I went, oh yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> and I didn't pay any, you know, it didn't bother me. It was like. But then once I started staying in this place, it was like, this place is creepy, I I just don't want to stay here. So anyway, the people gave me, um, you know, like Private Detective was a magazine that came out, you know, in the 40s. And there were other magazines, accounts of what had happened that evening. And very quickly, two brothers were in the cabin. They were drunk, they were like 19, 20. They were arguing over a girl. There was a girl there. One brother hit the other brother with a poker and killed him in front of the fireplace. The two other two kids freaked out. The girl and the boy. They freaked out. They started. uh, They tried to pull the the brother out of the house to take him to the hospital. They couldn't because he was bleeding all over the place. They got in their car, drove, trying to drive into town. Of course, you know, in the 40s and 30s, everything was a gravel road, and they had a wreck and went into the lake and died. So all three kids were killed. That's basically the story I told Steve. And when I told Steve the story, he goes, Well, you know, John, this is what Steve always says. You know, I'm really busy, and it'll take me a while to get to this, and it'll take a long time, but, you know, I'll, I'll get around to it, okay? Like five days later, I had 80 pages.
2: <laughs> well, Stephen... Oh. You know what? It gripped me. That's uh, it, it it I loved the idea of... The, uh, the basic concept that John pitched to me. He told me the story, and then he said, what if, which is magic words for me, he said, what if these dead brothers had one surviving brother who had kids, two brothers, live brothers, that were fighting all the time the way that the dead ones did and got into trouble, and then what if this surviving brother, who's now a grown man going on old age, like John, you know, says, uh, what if he had to take his sons to this cabin and explain to them what happened and the ghosts were still there? And I love the idea of the ghosts being in the cabin. We know they're there. The audience knows they're there. The live people don't, except every now and then they feel a little around the edges. So, yeah, I like the idea. It was a great idea.
1: T-Bone, we've got uh, you know two pretty strong-willed artists here uh, collaborating across genres and disciplines. You know what? Uh, you know what was enticing to you about getting involved and getting in the middle of all this, and you know really helping to shape the entire project from a musical standpoint.
3: Well, the first thing was um, John had been writing songs for uh, ten. By the time they called me, had been writing songs for ten years. And even John Mellencamp, you give him 10 years to write some songs, he's going to come, come up, up with, with some pretty good songs. <laughs> I'll come up no, with he, one. He, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, there was one, you know, I got a tape of maybe, or a CD or something, or other maybe 20, uh, really one great song after another. And so I was immediately uh, enticed. Is that the word you use? Yes. Yeah, so.
1: Well, John, you know, uh, there's been a whole uh, kind of direction that that artists have been going in, moving, you know, exploring theater. Uh, was that a kind of idea that had appealed to you at any point? Did you? What What was it that made you think that this particular idea? I mean, for you as a songwriter, you've written songs about a whole range of things, but that this is something that was going to really find its true life in in another context.
0: Well, the only reason it dawned on me was. Um, I was talking to I was in Los Angeles and I was talking to my agent, and at the time people wanted me to do like a Mama, me, Mama Mia type of thing with all my songs, and I just wasn't interested in doing that, you know, taking like pink houses and putting in a musical. And then you know we were talking and I I told this guy this story and just as a joke, you know, you can't believe what happened to me, you know, I bought this place. He goes, that would make a great musical. And I said, yeah, it'd make a great musical if we could get Stephen King to write it. He goes, I'm Stephen's agent. I thought, oh, well, okay, that, that's convenient.
1: Uh, Stephen, you know, what about yourself? I mean, I know you're a huge music fan. You play yourself, a standing member of the Rock Bottom Remainders. Was the idea of working with John, uh, you know, kind of appealing from that standpoint and, and you know, kind of you know, combining what you do, uh, you know, with music?
2: Well, I didn't know John uh, until he got in touch and sort of pitched me this idea a little bit and said, uh, uh, do you think you'd be interested in getting together and talking about a little more? I was down in Florida, and I said, yes. And John came down, which impressed me in the first place. And the next thing that impressed me was my guitar was sitting in the corner, and he picked it up and played it a little bit. And he said, you know, this is crap. This is really out of tune. And he tuned my guitar, and I knew right then that if I worked with him, I would also have a roadie, and (laughs) that would be a a great thing. It's like the way
1: Robert Johnson had the devil uh, tune his guitar. Yeah, Well, I mean, it was a (laughs)
2: little bit like meeting the devil at the crossroads. I mean, just look at him. You can see he's got that in him. But the thing was, John said to me, okay, I don't really know what I'm doing with this, and I said, I don't know what I'm doing with it, either. I had written one play in my life. It was for Boy Scouts, and I was 12, you know? So we kind of looked at each other, and there was a real sort of simpatico moment where we sort of realized that we were both interested in trying something that we hadn't tried before, and, uh, and taking, a, taking a jump because, you know, you get on a little bit, you have some success, you have a tendency to kind of lay back and say, well, I could do this, and, and uh, I'll get a check, and I'll be comfortable, and the car payments are made, the house payments are made. And then you say, well, yeah, what am I living for? Let's try something new. So we did this.
1: Now, tomorrow, the album comes out. You know, There's a wide variety of artists. Uh, you know, Ryan Bingham is on here. You know, Sheryl Crow is on here. Um, Almost yeah, you know, Costello is on here. Uh, Nico you know, so Case is on here. Nico Case, of Chris course. Chris Christopherson. Well, you know, who did the casting? How did that work out? Uh, T-Bone did 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 the record.
0: You know, uh, we had the songs, and we had uh, we had when I re- when I wrote the songs, I would have some local people from Bloomington just come in and sing it, mm-hmm. like the demo that T-Bone heard of. Uh, the father was my older brother who could sing so I just had my older brother come in and sing the songs uh, which sounds nothing like Chris Christopherson and the same thing with uh, w- with the, the shape I, You know it was just some kid in Bloomington singing that part who didn't you know and then he brings in Elvis Costello which totally totally changes you know it's a game-changer
1: T-Bone, t- uh, talk a little bit about you know making some of those decisions or coming up with some of those ideas you know what you know what kind of effects were you going for what did you want to bring out of those songs
3: well you know it's casting right so you know Stephen King just said that John Mellencamp has a lot of the devil in him you see so you, you, <laughs> when Stephen King says that you have to pay attention to that you know so. <laughs> Uh, so going back to the devil, you know, Elvis Costello. Are you going to come and defend me, Meg, or not?
0: <laughs> no? Okay.
3: I think Elvis Costello was our
1: first choice for the
3: devil. Yeah, know?
1: that's an amazing performance, actually. It is an
3: amazing performance. And the most amazing performance, I don't think, is even on the record. The one, uh, what was the 21-minute one? The, the tune Elvis did that was 20 Minutes. Yeah, there was a song that uh, that they did. What was that song? Yeah, you're wrong about, about me. me. That, yeah. you
0: got to hear this tune, man. This song it was like 20 minutes long, and it was just like, they sent it to me, and I, and I just thought, you got to be shitting me. What are you going to do with all that music? You know? <laughs> but if you edited it down, it would have been great. But the song, you know, um, Steve being the taskmaster that he is, he would look at my songs, and he'd go, eh, that's not working, and... We need this kind that's of. That's
2: not true at all. You know, <laughs> the fact is, and I'm going to say this in front of you, and I'll regret it. John is the most talented guy that I've ever worked with in my life, and uh, that's just a case. And I want to, I want to say something else. The 21-minute version of Wrong About Me isn't on the record. But the thing is, there could be a Ghost Brothers two record because for. Right? Every song that's on the record, there are two that aren't. Because I would say to John, like, let's put a song here. And I mean, there are these two brothers that are fighting, and, uh, and I put some lyrics, just some placeholders down, you know. This is why I'm so goddamn good. This is why I'm so goddamn good. And John would write the song, and these are, these are the best songs that John has ever done, as far as I'm concerned. It's terrific music, terrific lyrics, and in each case, he was able to stretch his imagination so that the songs fit the thing. John took this music and raised the temperature of everything that I wrote. I mean, I've told people for years that if I could write music, I would, but... John says that, uh, you know, I write lyrics like Dr. Seuss. And I thought about that a little bit, and I worked it out, and John has agreed. I want to announce it here, our rap album.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because we have so much street cred at our age.
3: (laughs) Especially among the Dr. Seuss crowd. Well,
0: we thought we'd get you to produce it.
2: Happy to do it.
3: Off the hook.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know the um, the project has taken on a variety of forms. You know, you staged it in Atlanta. You know, uh, over the in the fall, it will be uh, touring uh, as uh, kind of a, a kind of public reading of it. You know, with music, uh, and you know, you've got now an, a digital book version of it where you know people could well you know download it and and when you come to parts in the libretto, as as, as I guess we're saying, uh, you know, you you can hear the song, you can hear a character speak. You know, you've got actors like Meg Ryan and, you know, uh, Matthew McConaughey and, and others participating. You know, where do you feel is the sort of heart of this project? What is it that lends it, you know, to all of these different kind of manifestations, you know, to the album, to the You know, to the theatrical performance, to the live readings, to, uh, you know, a digital book. You know, those are, you know, those are complementary, but they're all pretty distinct things.
0: Well, this is kind of a funny way of saying it, but I said it earlier this morning. But we're actually like three little boys building a a soapbox in the basement. We don't really know what the hell we're doing. So we're going to try, like, okay, let's try the break. Uh, you think, you think these brakes will work like Are you sure the wheels go on like this, Steve? And that's what Ghost Brothers has been from the get-go. I mean, we had the whole thing recorded. Everything was done. We bring T-Bone in, and he looks at us, and he goes, doesn't work. So how, how are we going to change that? You know, the songs, the song, this song doesn't work there. That doesn't work. This, I'm not believing this part of the acting. So we had to, you know, Steve and I th- thought, because we were so in the woods that it was great that, that Henry came in and said, well, this doesn't really work right here. This section works, and this section works, but this doesn't work. So, you know, it was great for him to come in. And Steve and I had been working on it for like, what, 10 years at that point? And so we it it, it, it was good that that, that, that happened.
1: T-Bone, what, what were some of the things you heard that, that you felt like really, you know, kind of needed to be refocused a little bit? You know, what were some of the... What were some of the notes that you gave on the on the material you heard?
3: I just the only notes I gave them were thank you notes. You know. <laughs> I
1: don't. <laughs> it's far too kind. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't.
3: I, I really don't remember. I don't remember. I just I know there was a tremendous amount of great material, and it probably the job was to edit, to edit down. Well, ahead.
0: I I I think that you know to be perfectly honest, you know. The seven-hour thing kind of scared him. (laughs) It was seven hours long. He thought, that might be a little long, you know, so maybe we should look at this and, you know, 43 43 songs and and 280 pages of Steve. And it's all good, guys, but, you know, maybe we should, like, try to find the story a little bit better. It sort of held...
2: uh, I think that it's got a a little more breadth than some projects because... It actually works as a story, and it works as a musical. And I think one of the things that excited John and I when we had uh, workshops in New York last year was how great it looked when it was stripped down to a bare stage. And I mean, if you go, if any of you see this when it goes on tour uh, in the fall, you'll see pretty much what I had envisioned when I started work, which was an almost bare stage, you know, a real...
1: Strip down,
2: uh, yeah. Look, and the music fills that up. It fills it up, and uh, so it's got a nice, more than it's more than a one-trick pony. Is what I'm trying to say. That's what we ne- we never set out to do any one particular thing. One more thing. This is the the best iBook that I've ever seen. I've got uh, I've got. Um, all the all the bells and whistles. I've got a Nook. I've got have got a Kindle, and I've got an iPad. And this is the, the best. This this particular iBook is the nicest thing. Um,
3: and, so. I, and I want to say I think this I think this piece will probably reach its definitive form as a hologram. That's what I believe.
1: <laughs> and
3: I'm dead serious
1: about that. I am. Well, I would love to see it. Well, you know, one of the things about it. Uh, yes,
2: but would you pay for it? <laughs> You'll have to.
1: (laughs) You know, one of the things that, uh, well, it was like sort of Tupac at Coachella, you know? That was an amazing performance. Um, You know, I think that one of the things, you know, when people, and and maybe, John, this goes back to maybe what you were talking about at the beginning, you know, I mean, I think musical theater has, I think, an, an array of associations for most people. And I think even when you know pretty serious artists, uh, you know, get to the point of you know bringing music to the stage, there's always it seems like a desire, you know, to kind of mainstream the project to you know just kind of make it you know sort of smooth out the edges. And well, whereas I- this really, uh, let me just say, I mean, doesn't back off. I mean, from any of the darkness in this story. You know, this is about all kinds of betrayal and you know family struggles and you know want to you know see what the three of you guys you know sort of feel about I that I did
0: an interview the other day with these guys were going to also talk to this guy in LA and it was amazing to me that this guy really understood and dug the format that we were doing and wasn't particular about you know well you know because you know we've heard things like well, the songs don't really lead the story forward. Well, we didn't want it to. You know? And so there were, The problem with Ghost Brothers, if, there's a, if there is a problem, it's that it doesn't fit into a whole. It's its own thing. It's different. If you're interested in different, if you're interested in, 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 in stories that are real, uh, emotions that are real, uh, and uh, songs that are okay... Uh, then this is the right thing,
1: Stephen. What was your sense about that? You know, like was there, uh, you know, in terms of like defining a story that really, you know, sort of doesn't really make that many concessions to what, you know, our notions of what, you know, kind of musical theater. Well, you know art. what,
2: I'm also, I I don't want to talk about our project, our our finished work, by comparing it unfavorably to Broadway. But I will say that a lot of what Broadway backers and Broadway producers feel comfortable with are spectacle things. Um, They plugged a huge amount of money into Spider-Man, and nobody was sure by the end of it if they were going to get it back, but everybody sort of banked on the idea that if the spectacle is big enough, it's uh, it's a no-brainer. It's going to happen. And when that comes to musicals, what that means is is uh, what Andrew Lloyd Webber or something and a 9,000-piece uh, a orchestra and uh, huge things falling on the stage and a lot of amplified, you know, that kind of thing. And John and I wanted to do something. Like, the automatic, the fabled bottom line with live theater, musical theater, is if the audience goes out of that theater and they're singing your tunes... It's a success, and I defy you to listen to this record and not have those tunes sort of come out of your mouth. I've been listening to them for years now, and I'm still not tired of the music. I got kind of tired of rewriting some of this stuff, but I do understand when you take something that, that combines all that, that uh, full, tasty American music with a really dark story, I can see a lot of people saying, "Well." I don't know, it's a little bit different. We don't really have a, uh, you know, a, something to compare it to, so
0: maybe... Uh, well, i got to would... tell you, Steve, the, the guy I was talking to in, in in Los Angeles, he was reading, and he actually did, did it the way you're supposed to do He read, and then he listened to the songs, and he read some more, and he listened. And about three-quarters of the way through, he thought, oh, these guys are going to sell out. It's going to have a happy ending. I, Steve is going to... I let it... And this guy's a big Stephen King fan, and it was like... He, he told me he was so excited by the time the thing ended that it was, like, not a happy ending. Because no, it looks like, it no, looks no, like no, it's no. going to be, but then no. Well, I, you
2: know, the story about that is, uh, <laughs> and I'm probably supposed to keep it clean, but I can't. Because this has been a long, long process. But we all got together down in Florida one year, and this thing had gone through five different iterations. And we sat down around a table. And I was pretty disgusted with the whole thing. And we had done this thing where it's a happy ending, you know, and everything. And I said, well, well, what about this? What about if everybody fucking dies? And Because I wanted to be done with it. I was tired. It worked
1: in Hamlet. And,
2: and, 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 And they said, John said, and everybody that was sitting at that table said, yeah, let's do that. I mean, there was no holding back. There was no doubt or anything. It was just jump in the pool and go for it.
0: Yeah, but you, you you weren't you weren't unhappy with Ghost Brothers. You were unhappy because your foot hurt. Well, my foot did
3: hurt, but Look, that you know, wasn't I'll, it. I'll say this about this show, you know, because you were talking about the rough edges. Yeah, yeah. The reality is, this story is, if you knock any of the rough edges off, you don't have anything left. You know, I mean, it's all the whole thing is a rough edge. You know, I was so about to say it's so all rough it's, edges. Yes, I mean we it, it's,
2: did face a lot of suggestions from people that were all aimed at whittling off those edges. Yeah, smoothing things out.
3: But what's the point, you know, really, because for these guys at any rate, you know? Well, you know, and
0: for me, 15 years Steve and I have been working on this, and I think between the two of us, we've had one harsh word, and that was probably came from me.
1: What a surprise. Uh, That's pretty imagine,
0: (laughs) I mean, think about it. I don't play well with the other kids. Steve sits in a room and types all the time, I've never, and T-Bone is the first record producer I've ever had after 27 albums. And uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, so, you know, you, you have two guys here that just don't collaborate. We just don't know how to do it. And thank God Henry came along and is a collaborator and kind of put things together for us.
1: Well, it seems to me like T-Bone's gift is really getting to the essence of things, yeah. you know, and just keeping it right there. and. That's certainly true in this project. It was uh,
2: exciting to work to work with John. It was a very exciting thing, and he would write these songs, and uh, I would see where they went. And then, you know, there was a job that I had that I really enjoyed, which was to integrate the words that people were speaking into the songs. Because I did a treatment of the thing, and I went to John and I said, "Look." You we're at a crossroads here. I did. He's right. I, I I did get excited, and I did like a sixty-five page treatment. It wasn't eighty pages, John. You only thought that because you didn't have your glasses only a on. A mere
1: sixty-five but pages.
2: It was like sixty-five pages, and I said, "Here's the deal, John. Either you're going to do like, uh, if you want to do a Phantom of the Opera, or if you want to do a Les Mis, something like that." My work is done, because all you got to do is translate all this into, so they're singing back and forth and telling the story and all that. And he said, no, no, I don't want to do that. I want to do, like, My Fair Lady, where people talk for a while, and then they sing a song, and then they talk some more, and they sing another song, like that. And I said, well, okay. I'll tell you where to put the songs. And he did it. Pitch perfect. Bingo. That <laughs> was great. And then my job was to try and do the intros and the outros, and in some cases, it was the most satisfying work I've ever done. I really liked it. That's my tale.
1: Well, we've had uh, you know, some amazing ideas uh, put out here. I wonder if anybody has any questions or things they want to ask about? We, we saw your show in Atlanta, loved it. Went back the next night, we enjoyed it so much. And uh, I've listened to the promo CD and a lot of the songs. We're wondering when the touring group comes, are they going to be some of the people from Atlanta, or some of the people from the CD? Who's going to be doing the show as you tour?
0: Well, what you saw in Atlanta is, is gone. Uh, I think uh, Anthony said it best. It's kind of, how did you put it, a public what? Reading. A public I reading. Oh. Yeah, I, and, and uh, it's going to be more like a radio show. It's going to be like this. And the actors are going to come forward, and there'll be backdrops, and they'll be in costume. Uh, but it's a whole different presentation, and, and we did it that way in New York. Hey, we did it here uh, for a, a few people uh, six, seven months ago, and it was just, uh, Steve and I loved it so much more. It was than, better than Atlanta, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, it was it? A, lot, a lot better than Atlanta. Because it was Atlanta.
2: stripped it right down, and it really isn't a public reading. It's more like uh, a concert with words, too.
3: We'll have to see that, too. Okay. Well, I know she got the t shirt on, so go, man. I love the show in Atlanta. I got to say, that, that place, Alliance Theater, it's probably the only facility like that in the country, I think, where something could have been staged. That was quite a spectacle, really. It's a huge stage, an incredible complex, and it was an amazing production. I, I really enjoyed
0: it. I just want to thank the three of you for coming. The talent is amazing on this stage. Um, absolutely. Uh, Mr. King, I was
2: just wondering, is there any chance uh, that you'd be directing anything again anytime soon or in the future? I directed a movie called Maximum Overdrive yes. in the 80s, and that was, that was good.
0: Tell, tell him some of story. I've heard some of these stories. They're good. They're good. They're good about him directing. He was a little jittery, but he's doing it.
2: Coke to the eyeballs is what I was, but... It was an interesting experience because I was working with Dino De Laurentiis and I had an Italian film crew, and it was a little bit like going to film school uh, without having to pay any money and getting paid. The only thing was the picture really wasn't that great. So no, I don't have any plans to direct in the future. Hi, guys. Thank you for coming. Uh, At any point, did you guys ever stop and say, oh my God, we're writing a music about a double suicide. Is this going to work?
0: Well, it, it, it worked in uh, Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> <laughs> so, come uh, on.
3: I, I haven't heard the, the, the Romeo and Juliet musical. Is that, is that right? <laughs> <coughs> it's, it's getting interesting. Yeah. I think that's called West Side Story. Ah, there. We ah. Right. Uh, it's true, you know, and Gilligan's Island is the tempest, and you know.
2: Um, I just wanted to ask if you could talk a little bit about Darkland County itself and give a a feel for what we should expect tomorrow. (coughs) I'd be grateful.
0: That's your job, Steve.
2: Well, Darkland County was really sort of, uh, in my mind, Uh, John told me the story, and uh, we'd both read a lot of uh, Tennessee Williams, and I loved those plays, and I I loved me some Faulkner set down there in Mississippi, and a few years ago, I, I did um, a lot. Of, I did. I did a fair. It sounds like I went to jail, like you know. <laughs> but I, like I went to the parchment Farm, but I didn't. I but I did do some time in Mississippi, and uh, I just I love the people. I love the accents. I, I love. The, it reminds me of where I come from because I'm from a rural state, and so is John. And we thought if we're going to do a gothic. Let's put it way down south in Tennessee Williams' country. So that's exactly what we did. And uh, we liked the feel of it, and it created a mindset for me for this kind of gothic story. So Darkland County is uh, maybe a sort of a place in the rural south. It's more of a country of the mind than it is uh, in actual geography.
1: I had an advance of the CD, and I've had a chance to spin it a few times, It's one of my favorite albums of the year so far. And I'm curious about a couple of things. The artists that perform on the album, what uh, involvement are they going to have in the productions that are going to be going on the road, if any? And I did see that there is a tour in the Midwest. Is anything planned for the New York area?
0: Uh, Actually, the uh, people that they saw in Atlanta will probably be the people that will uh, be on the show. You know, I don't think you're going to see uh, uh, Chris or anybody like that out on the road. Uh, and the other part of your question was was, was what, the second?
1: Uh, is it going to come to New York? Or... Well, here,
0: here's the thing, you know, uh, we're going to see how this goes. I mean, this is the way it's always been with Ghost Brothers. This is why it's taken so long. I mean, other than Steve having a full-time job, I have a full-time job, Henry has a full-time job. So you know we're going to see how it goes. You know we're going to see if people are interested in it, and if people uh, uh, are interested in it, then we'll continue. And you know, thank God there was a, there was a, a company uh, that was interested enough to say, okay, I'm ready to roll the dice with you guys, uh, because you know it's it's you know they don't put these shows on for free, so we were able to have this company, uh, and and so they're willing to roll along with us and see how it goes. And I think that. Uh, you know, as long as uh, we don't lose money, the Ghost Brothers will keep going. Um, Mr King, I just wanted to say that I'm a huge fan and actually Pet Cemetery was the first horror movie I ever saw as a child. So that was like the the first the very first introduction to horror. My question is when you write something and then it's turned into a, a movie, uh, does it like are you satisfied with it for the most times or for the most part or are you has there been a time where it's you know been completely a disappointment?
2: Well, first of all, I'm glad that you saw pet cemetery when you were young, because horror is like the Catholic Church. You give them to us when they're young, they're ours forever. But, uh, um, I feel different ways about them. You know, when a, It's like sending a kid off to college. You hope everything's going to go well. A lot of times, most times it does, every now and then, you know, the kid gets into trouble and winds up drunk and runs his car off a cliff or something like that. Oh, and then you're back to Ghost Brothers again. (laughs) Hi. Uh, It's really cool that you guys can be here. I know we're all excited. Um, My question is for Mr. King. I wanted to know if you had um, any specific limitations in writing for the stage. Were you able to get as dark and gory as you wanted to, knowing that you were going to have people up on stage doing this? It's pretty dark and gory. You know, when we did it in Atlanta, what surprised me was the special effects. Uh, It was an extremely bloody uh, final act, final scene. And, uh, of course, that warmed my heart uh, a lot (laughs) because that's the kind of person that I am. Obviously, you know, John and I have talked a little bit about this. We'd never done this before. He'd never written music for the stage before. And I'd never really written a a full-out, you know, balls-to-the-wall play where you say to yourself, well, you've got to limit this to what can be done on the stage. And I was amazed at how much they could do. Uh, I mean, this thing opens with uh, a couple committing double suicide off a a promontory, and they, they carried it on.
3: Kate Ferber, our girl, Jenna from the play is here. Kate. Oh,
2: Kate, Kate. Why don't you come up Wait,
3: here? Come on, Come here, Kate. Seriously. This girl, I don't know if you all know this girl, she lives here in town. She's a great singer and great actor, and she's the ingenue uh, who'll be out on the road. Hey, Kate.
0: She's fantastic on stage. And, uh, yes. and she's a great jumper.
1: Hey, Kate, why don't you uh, say a little bit about what we uh, can expect to see?
3: Well, um, we start rehearsals in the fall, so I, I'm excited to find out exactly what we're doing. In Atlanta, we had um, a big ledge, and it, it was a nine-foot jump down to into the orchestra pit. And we started at three feet, which was much scarier than nine feet. Um, and I think for our tour, we're not gonna be doing any of those special effects. But um, we found that in our workshop in September last year, we had, we had the audience kind of even in, in, our, in our grip stronger without all of the, the bells and whistles. So that's gonna be really exciting.
1: Excellent. Uh, Do we have one more question? Question for John?
3: Yeah. When you uh, are writing new songs, do you ever draw
2: on old uh, themes that you have? Like, for example, on the Scarecrow album you had Between Laugh and the Tear, and and the line was, if you see through everything, nothing seems worthwhile. And I noticed um, I never heard that phrase uttered until truth came out, where you had, if you see through
1: everything, that's the truth. So do you ever draw on older themes that you have in your mind
0: i only have four songs and i just rewrite those uh i just rewrite those four songs like a million times i've only got four good ideas and i'm not even sure you know how good those are um i'm sure that there's a universe and i'm sure that sometimes i'm an idiot and i'm not sure about the universe
1: so that's where we're at Well, thank you all for coming tonight, and thanks to John and Stephen and Chibone and Kate. And um, I hope you enjoy the project. It's really fantastic in, in all its forms.
3: Thank you.